Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. 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 Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'ghfiruhu wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakkalu alayh wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina ma yahdihillahu falamudillalah ma yudlilhu falahadiyalah wa nashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa nashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallama tasliman kathiran kathira أما بعد فنأذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وقال الله تعالى في القرآن الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اصبروا والصابروا ورابطوا واتقوا الله لعلكم تفلحون صدق الله وليلتين My beloved brothers and sisters, we praise Allah, we thank Allah, we praise, we thank, we lovingly appreciate Allah, and thus we say, Alhamdulillah. Nahmaduhu, we praise, we thank, we lovingly appreciate Him. Wanasta'inuhu, we seek His help. Wanastaghfiruhu, we seek His forgiveness. Wanu'minu bihi, wanatawakilu alayh, we believe in Him and we trust and rely upon Him. And we seek refuge with Allah from the wrong within ourselves and the wrong actions in our actions. And whomever Allah guides, none can misguide. And whomever Allah lets astray, none can guide. We bear witness that there is no ilah but Allah. There is no master but Allah. We are servants to none but Allah. There is no God but Allah. And we seek from Allah to shower his blessings upon his servant and messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, many more and many more. And as is the, qu- the case every single week, I ask you the same question, and that is for you and I to take a look at ourselves and ask ourselves what is changing, what is changing in the world, what is changing in our society, what is changing in our relationships, and what is changing in our hearts. So what is not known is that there was a huge typhoon that has affected major populations in Africa. It's actually strange that there is no news about it in our society. And as is the case, whether we are speaking of natural disasters or bloodshed, the point to think about at the very least is that these are reminders of our own mortality. And better than that, is to make dua for all the people who have been returned to Allah. And better than that is to do something in terms of speaking to help them. And better than that is to do something with your hands. But at the very, very least, we're saying you take it as a reminder that you and I will each face Allah Ta'ala on the Day of Judgment, held to account for the choices we made in our lives. And then bring it closer to home. We have the ongoing discussions about impeachment taking place and what will happen, who knows. And at the same time, we are at that point in the calendar where we are commemorating Kristallnacht. This is the night in Germany a few decades ago, or now over half a century ago, which was the night that began the Holocaust. A colleague of mine, a rabbi, he posted a map of all of the synagogues that were attacked in Germany on the night of the beginning of the synagogue, and it's actually very, very frightening. You would think 5, 10, 20, 30, the numbers seem to be in the hundreds, 
all on one night, starting the process as an organized process, not as a spontaneous process. And when you and I are looking at what is happening in our society, whether we speak of anti-Semitism or Islamophobia, those, those histories become especially important. But then bringing it closer to home, once again, what is the nature of your relationships with each other? Translation, how do you spend your time with your friends, with your family, and how much of that time spent is bringing you closer to Allah, bringing you closer to preparation for the Day of Judgment, or bringing you farther? That is something that you control. That is something that I control. That is something that if I have failed for the last however many years, I can still improve upon. And so also don't fall into despair if you feel like you are not doing enough. Every one of us can improve upon that, not in just in the quantity of time we're spending in service to Allah, but also the quality. But the point is keep remaining vigilant with yourself about how you use your time. That is your number one currency. Money will go up and down. Time only goes down. You don't get time back. There is no way to do so. And then, of course, the other question, the fundamental question, what is the nature of your relationship with Allah in your heart? Another thing that you have control over. You decide if you want to see Allah Ta'ala as pouring mercy upon you, and if you do that, you will experience so many things in your life as the pouring of mercy upon you. If you want to, however, see Allah Ta'ala as absent, that's exactly what you will experience. If you want to see Allah Ta'ala as punisher, a'udhu billah for all of these, that's exactly what you will see. The point being, you choose what is the attribute of Allah that is most dominant in your life, and the one that I'm suggesting is Rahmah. But not just Rahmah, but Rahmah being poured and poured and poured upon yourself. Because when you do that, then you start noticing everything. You start noticing the good in everything, whether it is the light of the sun or the peace and quiet of this room. And even though the temperature is cold, we are in somewhat warmth, and on and on and on. <clears throat> now, related to that, in terms of things that have happened in the course of the past week, unfortunately, another prominent Muslim preacher has been exposed for very un-Islamic behavior. Thankfully, alhamdulillah, 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 for my own sake, this is one of those cases where I'm not at the center of the process of the exposure. But the point is that this particular preacher is someone who many people look to for multiple purposes. One was because he used to speak, come to Islam as you are. The idea being that you are welcomed into the deen at whatever level you are at. And the goal is that you aspire to become something better than what you are. And he also used to be someone who was very, very conservative when he would speak about matters of gender interaction. But what happens is that when you are given such lofty attention, then at some point you and I know shaitan is going to be relentless in taking you down. From the moment you and I are each born, what does the accursed shaitan do? He assigns a jinn to follow you, a jinn to master you. It's called a qareen to know all of your weaknesses. 
all of your temptations. And then what happens from there? That you get blasted with temptations. And you and I are the ones, however, that are making the choice. Now, what do you do for those moments where you have accepted the temptation? You've made a choice to do something wrong. What are we taught? Follow it up immediately with something good. Because what is the risk that if you do something wrong, you develop a taste for the wrong behavior? Right? We call it, you know, for example, when you have people who are fighting, they begin to develop a taste for blood. If you do a particular sin, you do not want to start developing pleasure in the sin. So you should follow it up as soon as possible with good behavior. And keep in mind, related to the same point that I mentioned about the way we use our time, that there is always space to improve, what is one of Shaitan's tricks? Is if you do wrong, to get you to think of yourself as someone horrible. That's a trick of Shaitan. Because once again, what should be your view about your akhirah? Should it be more fear or more hope? The answer is that it should be a balance of the two. If you are fearing, if you are feeling much more fear about your akhirah than hope, then say, Alhamdulillah, you have just improved your status. Say, Subhanallah, you have just improved your status. Say, Allahu Akbar, you have literally just improved your status. And do good, and do more good, and do more good. If, however, you do not feel very much fear about your akhirah, that's a bigger concern, because either that means you believe you're guaranteed, or you just don't care. You don't have it as much in your consciousness. If you believe, I don't think any of us believe that we are guaranteed regarding our akhirah. Then what's the principle, what's the prescription in the Qur'an? If you believe you're guaranteed, you should pray for death. But if you have more hope than fear, then you should start saying astaghfirullah and think of the sins that you have committed. But if you feel like, no, I don't want to think about it, or I don't find it important, then spend time and think about what are your priorities in life in the sense of what will last. And what is my point? That just about everything we do is the equivalent of a sandcastle. The career that I've spent my life in is still the construction of a sandcastle whether it is a career as a chaplain, or as a physician, or as an engineer, whatever it is you're going to accomplish, at some point in this world it is going to be forgotten. But my actions and your actions will transfer over to the other side. So what is my point, my beloved brothers and sisters? To have a balance of fear and hope. But in the context of this preacher, there's another concern, and that is nifaq. What is nifaq? Nifaq is hypocrisy where I am saying one thing, but I'm doing the opposite. That I'm saying to turn left, but I am busy turning right. So what is, I'm not going to get into the details, other details of what this particular person was doing. But the point being that he was, in the general sense, presenting one image, and then it was exposed that behind closed doors he was doing very, very horrible things. Now, what is the concern of hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is when you are Muslim on the outside, kafir on the inside. Hypocrisy is when you are presenting yourself as a believer, but in your heart, you're a non-believer. There's two types of hypocrisy. Nifaq fil amal. 
This is the hypocrisy that is revealed in your actions. Nifaq fil aqida. This is hypocrisy when you're willfully fake. I don't think any of us are willfully fake, but every one of us needs to be conscious about the first hypocrisy. Nifaq fil amal. What is this? This is when your actions reveal that your heart is not turned to Allah. So for example, the Prophet ﷺ gives us a number of signs of hypocrisy. In one narration, he says that when you speak, you lie. When you are given a trust, you break your trust. When you promise something, you break your promise. And I'm not talking about once in a rare while. I'm talking about this being a normal practice. And when you get emotional, you lose control of your emotions. When you speak, you lie. When you're given a trust, you break your trust. When you make a promise or a commitment, you break it. And when you get emotional, you lose control of your emotions. What does it mean that when you get emotional, you lose control of your emotions? We all know those people who when they get angry, they lose complete control. Or the same person, if they start laughing, they lose complete control. That's a sign of hypocrisy. And then perhaps we know people in our world who, whatever they say, you don't even know if you can trust it because they lie so much. Now what I'm not saying is to point fingers at them and say, hey, you're a hypocrite. No, the point of these concerns is for me to look at myself. How many of these attributes do I have? How many of the attributes of hypocrisy do I have? And how important is this? It is so important that Allah Ta'ala starts talking about it literally in page 3 of the Quran. Within we, you and I, if we are going to introduce Islam to other people, we're going to talk about happy things. One Allah, Rahmah, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, so wonderful. Yet when Allah Ta'ala is introducing the Quran to us, we have Al-Fatiha, which is such a happy surah, mashallah. And then we have the beginning of Al-Baqarah, <coughs> after Alif Lamin, the attributes of the people of Taqwa, and then it gets super serious, the people of Kufr, the people of Nifah. And what is the point to take from that? That life is very serious. One of the transitions from a childhood to adulthood is you start to play less. It doesn't mean you don't play when you're an adult. Obviously, I'm a happier guy than most of you are. I play more than you do. But the point I'm saying is that the process of moving from childhood to adulthood is embracing seriousness when it is time to be serious. Be serious. Part of the process of childhood to adulthood is to take ownership when you need to take ownership. And so what I'm saying, in the same way you control, you have influence of the time you spend with others, and you control what you think of Allah Ta'ala in your heart, you control whether or not you will be a hypocrite or working on the path of being a true believer. But always remember not to fall into despair. Rather, always look at where you're at and figure out how to get better. And of course, down the hall, I'm there to help every one of us, inshallah. But every one of us has space to improve. But then there's another issue. What happens when someone you are looking to with esteem and respect in matters of deen and they don't just fail you, they turn into be, it turns out that they are completely frauds. Hopefully, inshallah, if any of you have any esteem for me, that will never happen here. Inshallah, inshallah, inshallah. But the point I'm making is what do you do when that happens? 
Something interesting happens, especially with daughters to their fathers, is that every daughter, if they have the privilege of spending that much time with their father, is you reach a point where you discover your father is human. Whatever it is, maybe he says something, maybe he does something, and then you realize he's not the superstar. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, but the point is it requires rethinking of how you look at your parents. But when you have a teacher, a sheikh, a guide, a murshid, and you're looking at that person as someone super serious about deen, and then you discover they're the opposite of it, just remember Abu Bakr on the death of the Prophet What did he say? If you worship Muhammad, Muhammad is gone. Allah is eternal. Now Muhammad would not let us down. The point I'm making is that the preacher, the teacher, is a vessel. The message that the teacher is giving, no matter how pious they are, is more dignified than they are. And to help make sense of this, just think of the name Allah. If I say the name Allah, that is literally the most sacred thing my tongue could say. There is nothing more sacred, more valuable that my tongue can say than the name Allah. And all of us know that the value of the name Allah is beyond the sky, whereas I'm just this person here. And so if I'm teaching a Quran that is way above me in value than the person I am. And so when you are taking from someone, then inshallah the value of the knowledge does not decrease, even if their value has decreased. But further the goal is to take from as many teachers as possible. And also remember that on the day of judgment every one of us will stand alone. That your teacher will not be able to stand with you on the day of judgment and negotiate on your behalf. It's us alone. Try to even comprehend that, being called by your name and then standing to account for every single choice of your life. It should be awe-inspiring, but yet at the same time, it should make you hopeful and fearful. And you've heard from me many times the teaching attributed to one of our master scholars of the past that if you were to find out only one person was going to hell, you should have the fear that that's you. At the same time, if you were to find out only one person is going to paradise, you should have the hope that that's you. Both fear and hope. And if you can have that, inshallah, you're on the path of taqwa. If you're missing one, then we can work on exercises on how to develop more fear if you need it, or how to develop more hope if you need it. With that, we'll stop right here.